All right, you can, we're going to dig in. We're going to look at John chapter 13, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can kind of keep your finger um, in both places. But we're kicking off a series today called One Another. In our focus 2020, we're looking at one another's, because here's the, here's the deal. We want to focus on one anothering this year. We want to focus on one another in this year. And I mentioned this in my Facebook Live uh, on Thursday, but in the New Testament, the word that we get from one another uh, is used a hundred times in 94 verses in the New Testament. This, this idea of one anothering is used 100 times in 94 verses in the New Testament. And so, instead of doing a two-year series and looking at all 100 times that that is used, we decided we're going to pare it down to about five weeks, summarize some things, and look at five one-anothers that we believe are extremely important that if we put into practice in our care for one another, in our, inaction, in our interactions with one another, it'd be transformational within the church. And so today, we're talking about love one another, we're talking about loving one another. Another. So John chapter 13, uh, verses 34, 35, a new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. So here's what I want you to do, just kind of loosen things up a little bit. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, just love me. Just love me. Just love me. Right? Just love me. Um, just love me. Fun, fun story for you. You know those, you know the, the main shirts, right? That like fish me, ski me, right? All that stuff. Kristen's got one of those that says love me. And one of the times uh, Kristen was getting really aggravated with Micah and, uh, and, and she was wearing that shirt. And Micah looked at Kristen in the midst of this semi-intense fellowship. Like it wasn't at a 10 but like it was kind of rising there. And Micah looked at Kristen, who was wearing that shirt, and she's like, just love me, mommy. It was awesome. Because <laughs> everything just broke in that moment. And it was like, are you kidding me? So now it's the running joke in our house that when things start to escalate, right, and we get at the 10 or 15 or 30 out of 10, just love me. You know, just love me. And so, and so look at your other neighbor and say, just love me. Come on, look at your other neighbor and just say, just love me, just love me, just love me. Because we're going to talk about the motivation for love. We're going to talk about what that love looks like and all of that. And I believe God's going to really challenge us with love. But let's just, let's just start with that. Because sometimes, sometimes I think we get too serious and critical about stuff. And we just need to come in. We just need to zoom out a little bit like we talked about last week. And just love. And just embrace the opportunity we get to be here together and hear God's word together and look at God's word together. So, um, one of the biggest things that we have to start with as we look at John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, right? This, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. And so I want you to grasp that. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Because one of the biggest things when, when it comes to love that, that I think we question or that I think we critique right now uh, these days when it comes to love is the motivation. The motivation behind the love, right? We question the motivation. Well, why are they doing this? 
right? I mean, they're being really nice to me right now. You know, this, this, that, and the other. Why are they doing this, right? Publishers Clearinghouse, they just sent me a letter. What's the why, right? What's the, just, that was meant to be funny. Thanks, Mike. Um, but, but the motivation behind love, I'll never forget. Uh, I, used to, I used to love walking around Sam's Club, right? So anybody know where I'm going with this? BJ's does it a little bit too, okay? But Sam's Club really ups the game, right? Because you know when you walk around Sam's Club, you can get a whole nother meal, (laughs) right? For free, right? Because they've got these samples. And so at the end of the aisles, there's these, you know, there there are these, you know, Sam's Club folks that are just standing there like, you know, free sample. Here, free sample. And I'm like, well, i got four kids, so I need six of them. Just right here, right? <laughs> you just, how are you going to eat tonight? We're going to Sam's. You know, we're just going to walk the aisles up and down. And then I realized one day, there's a motivation that they have behind doing that, right? Now, some of you are like, did you really, come on, come on now, right? But, but you know, the motivation, right, is that you're going to taste it, you're going to buy it, and then you're going to go home and you're going to make it yourself. Here's the problem. Have you ever noticed when you go home and make it yourself, it doesn't taste as good as when they make it for you. It just doesn't, right? It just doesn't. So it's frustrating. Anyway, the motivation behind them doing that is so that you would buy something else, right? And so we've got to look at the motivation here for love. And I think we see the motivation for this one another right here in verse 35. By this, all people will know. And I pray today, my prayer for us today is, is that we would embrace the weight of what Jesus is getting at here and the motivation of the church to love. By this, all church people will know that you're my disciples. That's not what it says. He doesn't limit it to church people. He says, by this, all people. Everybody say, all people. All people will know. That's the motivation for love. The single most, the single greatest evangelism tool that we have as Christians is our love for one another based on John chapter 13, verse 35, where Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And as I was reading on Thursday and just kind of doing some final preparation for this morning, I decided to read the whole chapter of John chapter 13 again, just just for the context of this, because again, I believe what greater motivation for us as the church of Jesus uh, than, than by this all people will know to love one another. And so I started reading verse 1 in John chapter 13, and I want to go back and I want to look at this because we have quite the example to follow. So John chapter 13, verse 1, starts like this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, so let's, let's quickly, let's give a little bit of context. Jesus know that the time, knows that the time is coming near where he is going to go to the cross, be buried, uh, raise again, and ascend into heaven. He's going back to heaven, back to be with Father, right, after he'd humbled himself and stepped out of heaven, right, to come and prepare a place, for, you know, all, all of us, all of, prepare a way for us to the Father, okay, to gain access to the Father through him, right? So he is, he's, he's recognizing here 
And that his hour had come to depart out of this world. During supper, verse 2, when the devil had already put into his heart, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So let's get the picture of this, right? We, already, we talked about uh, a couple months ago walking in the dust of the rabbi. And that, was, and that was so important because in those times when the streets weren't paved and, and people would just walk, if you walked close enough to the person in front of you, you would get dirty by the dust that they were kicking up off their feet just walking down the road. And so the idea was to walk so closely to Jesus that you would get dirty by the dust of the rabbi that was in front of you, right? And so that, 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 that was the context that we used then. But to, but to kind of piggyback off of that, right, in this time, it was, it, it was very common, very common that, that people upon entering a house, upon dinner, as people were washing up, that servants would wash people of the house's feet from their daily travels, because as they wore sandals, their feet just got dirty. And so Jesus, knowing that, knowing that his hour had come, right, knowing that he was going back to the Father, sitting with his disciples around this meal, gets up during the meal, takes his outer garment off, ties a towel around his waist, kneels before the disciples, and begins to wash their feet. Now, this reminds me of Philippians chapter 2 where, where, talk, where, where Paul talks about Jesus taking the form of a servant because, again, this was usually something that a servant would do. And yet here, Jesus is modeling his love for his disciples by washing their feet. Jesus is modeling his love for his disciples by washing their feet. Why? Let's keep reading. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Parents, you, you know how that conversation goes right there, right? Right? This doesn't make sense right now, but it's going to make sense. But that, no, it, just, just chill. Let me wash your feet. Okay? Um, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Isn't that awesome? If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, this is going to happen. It has to happen. It has to happen. I'm going to serve you in this way. I'm going to love you in this way. Way That's going to make more sense here in just a minute. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. At some point, right, and I've talked to, about this many, many times before, uh, Peter gets a bad rap, but at some point we can, can, can read this today and we're so tempted to say, Peter, just stop talking. Right? Because Peter's like, well, listen, Jesus, if you've got to wash my feet, then wash everything. Look at Jesus' response, Peter. Peter. The one who has bathed, verse 10, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he washed their feet, 
put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to him, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I then have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And he goes on to say about, about, about 20, maybe 18 verses later, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, if you wash each other's feet, if you wash each other's feet. That serving and loving in Scripture go hand in hand. Next week we're going to talk about serve one another. And you're going to, it's, it's going to almost sound repetitive because you could almost preach the same message for love one another, serve one another. Um, but, but loving and serving, they just go hand in hand in hand. But here we see, this, we see this, the first one another that we're going to look at. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And we see Jesus set a perfect, beautiful example of washing the disciples' feet. If I, Lord, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. And so as we talk about this idea of loving one another, this picture of loving one another, this one another of loving one another, it's important to note that our motivation for doing what we do here in the church of Jesus Christ is love. Our motivation, we see it right here in John chapter 13, our motivation for doing what we do is love. We are to be motivated by our love for God, and that should motivate us to love others. So here's the deal. Love requires responsibility, doesn't it? Love requires responsibility. For instance, if I love my family, I have certain responsibilities that come along with that love for my family. I've got to protect them. I've got to provide for them. I've got to be faithful to them. This is one of the ways that my love is evident to them. And so if we're going to love one another, there's responsibility that comes with that love. The way that we love others, listen to me, church, the way that we love others shows how much we love God. The way that we love one another, the way that we show love towards one another shows the maturity that we have in our relationship with God because it shows the level at which we love God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love passage. Chances are you've heard it. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it doesn't, doesn't harm, right? Tells us that whatever we do, if we do it without love, it means nothing. That whatever we do, if we do it without love, it means nothing. Okay, Travis, so I hear you. We're to love one another. By this, all people will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. We're to follow the example of Jesus in loving one another. Thank you for that message. Let's pray and go home. Some of you just got really excited. But before we do that, we've got to talk about how. What does that look like? What does that kind of love look like? And to do that, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at Paul talking to the church at Rome here, Romans chapter 12, because he talks about two things and he flushes them out very well here uh, in, in, in regards to how to love one another. 
Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Our first point there this morning that we get from Paul in Romans chapter 12 is to let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. That's what we've got, right? Let love be genuine. For love to work, there's some things that we need to do for ourselves. And these are the things that might not show on the outside, but they'll work on us from the inside out. And whatever's on the inside will eventually come out to be seen by all. The first thing he talks about here in letting love be genuine is, 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 is just that. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. What does that mean? The first thing that means is we've got to love without hypocrisy. We've got to love without hypocrisy. We have to make sure that the love we have for other people is real. Nobody likes a hypocrite. A hypocrite was originally used as an actor who acted out the part uh, other than his true character, acted out another part other than his true character. We need to make sure that we don't just act like we love someone, that we, but that we genuinely love someone. we got to love someone without hypocrisy. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Love Sunday in Advent, right? How many of us, I had Bria sitting on the first row, uh, in, the, in the first service, and so I'm going to pretend Miranda here is, is Bria, my daughter, right? What does it look like if I walk into Miranda's room, right, and say, Miranda, I love you, but this room, this clean-ish room, I'm qualifying my love for my daughter based on her room and the cleanliness of her room. Because I said, I love you, but. It's not what I mean to do, right dads? Right moms? It's not what we mean to do, but that is exactly what we communicate. In the same way, when we look at the one another's in the room, when we look at each other, thanks for being my daughter for a couple minutes there. That was great. That was fun. Uh, in the same way, when we look at each other and we say, I love you, but could you work on this in your attitude? Like, could you work on, like, it totally negates what we said at first. That's not love. Anything they hear after the but, just, it doesn't even matter because we have now, right, qualified our love for them. And I, and I believe that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, let love be genuine, right? Love without hypocrisy. Our real interest in people will show through our actions. The second thing he says there, abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Our passage tells us to abhor what is evil. There's no word in the original text that expresses a stronger aversion to something than the compound word we translate abhor. The proper response to evil is to have a strong feeling of horror about it. And so the way that Sam's Club is trying to trick us into buying their products by giving us free samples, we ought to have such a strong feeling of horror about it. Maybe that's a little far. But you get what I'm saying. Right? You see the picture. Every illustration breaks down somewhere, Jeff. But to hate what is evil, 
To hate what is evil. Our abhorring evil should be a constant action, should be a constant action for us to avoid those things that draw us in to action that's, a, that's not love. Let love be genuine without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That word cling means to hold on tight, to hold close to. Philippians 4.8 tells us, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. That's our love. Let it be without hypocrisy. Avoid what is evil. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And then the second thing Paul gets into here in verses 10 through 18 is how we ought to love each other. How that ought to look. Let us love each other. How that ought to look. He says there in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Easy enough. Right? I want to take that bit by bit, piece by piece. And we could, listen, we could probably spend months on this piece right here, verses 10 through 18. We could probably, we could probably, I mean, we could do a whole sermon series on these verses right here because I don't know about you, but I could talk for days, love one another with brotherly affection, rejoice in hope. That's a sermon series right there in itself, talking about the hope that we have and that we get to rejoice in. We could talk for days about that, but we're going to take 10 to 15 minutes and hit the whole list. Good? Does that sound good? Some of you are laughing like there's no way. He's going to do it in 15 minutes. Watch me. All right, buckle your seatbelt. He starts there, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Listen to me, church. We are called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's our calling. Called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That word devoted signifies the love that a parent has for their children. Listen to me. What does that mean for us? It is, the ten, it is the most tender kind of love that we see. It is the kind of love that helps, that, that, uh, that helps even though something bad is done. And so the call here that Paul has for the church to be devoted to one another, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, love one another in brotherly affection, right, means that we're to love one another with the most tender kind of love. To love one another with the most tender kind of love. And devoted means that we'll do it through thick or thin. Some of you have heard me tell this story. Um, but but uh, Kristen and I were engaged. 
And uh, we were in college, and it was winter time. It was, it was in January, and I decided to take Old Testament survey in a January intensive that was one week long, Monday through Friday, 8.30 in the morning through 5 p.m. We looked at the whole Old Testament in a week. It was awesome. Now, some of you are like, oh, I took more Old Testament classes, okay? I didn't just, anyway, whatever. But on Monday, we looked at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We looked at the whole Pentateuch in one day on Monday. We took an exam every morning. We wrote a paper every night. It was intense. It was was rough, okay? But we ate lunches right there in the classrooms, and Kristen was here in Maine uh, planning our wedding. And so as we would have breaks, I'd go out and I'd, I would call Kristen, check in on the wedding plans, see how things were going, and, you know, then come back in and learn about Daniel. And uh, it was just, it was, it was fun. And I remember one lunch, I was sitting there eating lunch, and my professor said, how are the wedding plans going? I said, great. And my professor, he was, I think he was retired, he was a retired pastor, and he was just kind of teaching um, for fun uh, and, and stuff like that. And he said, listen, one day, one day, you are going to have to make a decision to love Kristen because you're not going to feel like loving anymore. Now, anybody been married less than 10 years? Raise your hands. Okay, I see those hands. I see those hands. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, my response was, there's no way. Right? We're, we're, we, we love all the same. Like, there's no way. Right? How many of you have been married longer than 10 years? Okay. You get it. Those that raise your hand first, talk to somebody. Okay? Okay? What Paul's talking about here is to out, in, in outdoing one another, right? And in, in showing one another love with this brotherly love, with the most tender kind of love. It's loving one another even when it doesn't feel, when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like it, you show up. Even when it doesn't make sense, you show up. You love one another, right? You love one another. You don't quit on that love. That just doesn't go away one day, right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. Love is long-suffering. And if you're going to love, you can't just decide to wake up one day and say, you know what? I don't love anymore. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and that most tender kind of love. The second one, I love this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. What's he talking about there? Give preference to others. Give preference to one another in honor. Listen, we're called to give preference to others without waiting for them to show it to us without waiting for them to show it to us, without waiting for them to give it back. And Paul literally says there, outdo one another in showing honor. I would love to see the church of Jesus reflect this all the time. Like, what does it look like? Like, let's just, let's just step back for a second. What does it look like for us to go around trying to outdo one another in showing honor for each other? Isn't that awesome? Like, I don't know about you, but that looks incredible in, in the picture in my mind. 
to outdo one another in showing honor for each other and showing care for each other and showing how we care and love uh, one another, to outdo, right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. That literal, I think that word outdo just takes it to a whole nother level. It's not just, hey, look for ways to show honor to one another. No, 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 no. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. Outdo. He keeps going. Verses 11 through 13. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What he's talking about here is we show love by serving with diligence. We show love by serving each other with diligence. Serving each other with diligence. Fervent in spirit. Rejoicing in hope. Devoted to prayer. Practicing hospitality, aggressively seeking to be hospitable is the idea behind that statement. The word hospitality comes from a word that means a love for strangers. We're not just to wait for people to come to the door, but to go out and actively seek those who need help. Not build a field of dreams kind of church, where if you build it, they will come but to weave ourselves into the fabric of the community and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And then verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless even when we're wronged. Mm. Not hard to do. Bless even when we're wronged. I can think of a couple of times in particular where I was wronged, and the temptation for me is, Dave, I'm always right, right? I mean, in my own mind, I'm always right, especially on the basketball court with the black and white striped guys, you know, that wear those shirts and they have the whistles and stuff like that. They're always wrong, and I'm always right. But in the context of that, right, and, and, and I'm joking about the basketball thing, but, but many of us feel in situations justified and feel like we're always right about things, right? And I remember, I remember a couple times in particular where, where there was criticism and, 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 and there was wrongdoing that was happening, and, and, I, you know, and I could have gotten up, and maybe some of you have been in situations like this. Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning with wounds from past churches or past situations or past family situations, past family messes, and, and you're like, yeah, I'm walking through this right now. And you just feel like if you could stand up and say three to five sentences, it would clear everything out. But I had a mentor tell me, listen, if you throw a grenade back over that wall, there's going to be five coming right back over at you. Are you ready for that? And my response, literally, as I was sitting there having breakfast with him, I'm like, no, I just want this thing to stop. He's like, then don't throw another grenade. Even if you were wronged, just walk away. And I did. And at times... I'll, I'll be straight up honest with you. At times, it's hurt more because of the relationships I lost because of the untruth that was there. But it doesn't matter. Because then I look at the relationships that I gained. You see that? i to zoom out and see the bigger perspective. But even when we're wrong, we bless those who hurt us. Bless those who hurt us. Some of you are in a situation right now. Don't throw another grenade over. Travis, that's violent. Don't throw another spork. 
just, you get the picture, right? What's next? He says, check your attitude at the door. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Check your attitude at the door. Check your attitude at the door. Then I believe in verses 17 and 18, he kind of gives us three action steps that kind of summarize this whole thing. That's how I want to close. He says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. Do not pay back evil for evil. Vengeance is the Lord's. Trust that God has got this. Trust that God is going to take care of you and that things are going to work out for His good, for His glory. God's God's got that. We don't have to pay back evil, evil for evil because we can trust the God of the Bible that He's got it. And then He says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Always consider how your action will look towards others. Always consider how your action will look towards others. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Listen, we're not to worry about what is right right in the sight of men. We're supposed to look at what is right in the sight of God. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, we're to give careful thought to what we do and how it will affect others for the glory of God. And then verse 18. If possible, everybody say if possible. Just making sure you're with me because this is huge. This is huge. This is huge. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. If possible means that peace cannot always be accomplished. Did you hear that? If possible, means that peace cannot always be accomplished. It's not always going to end in rainbows and unicorns. There are times when we will vigorously have to defend our faith in the midst of opposition, and peace at any price is not a biblical stance. If possible, means that peace cannot always be accomplished. So far as it depends on you, implies that we can't control what others do, what others think. We can only control what we do and what we think. If they break, do not want peace, it's out of our control. And the you is emphatic. So far as it depends on you, we're responsible in the matter of peacekeeping for ourselves. Listen to me, church, we're called to love. We're called to love. As I was researching for last week's message series, I read this study that talks about the narrative that we speak over ourselves the narrative that we speak over ourselves. Did you know that 80% of the narrative that we speak over ourselves is negative? 80%. 80% of the things that we tell ourselves about ourselves is negative. According to, a, I think it was a Harvard study that I read last week in preparation for last week's message and we didn't use it for last week's message and it came out for this week. 80%. Why is that important for us today? Love your neighbor as yourself. Flip the narrative that you're speaking over yourself about you. If we're speaking 80% of negativity over ourselves, then what's going to seep out towards other people if we 
are to love our neighbor as ourself. God created you. Love you. Last time I checked, God didn't create junk. You're not junk. That's part of the reason we're doing this, this base camp, because we believe you have gifts and we want to see you use your gifts for the glory of God. There's a party going on in the kingdom of God and we don't want you sitting in the bleachers anymore. We want you involved in it. We want you plugged in it. It's awesome. Man, the things that God is doing right now among us in our... It, it, whoo, I get excited. I get excited. I get excited. We want you to be a part of it. Listen, 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 listen. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as we close today, my, my, question, my question for you is this. What's your motivation for love? By this, all will know that you're my disciples with how you love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you see you? How are you at loving you? How are you at loving the person next to you? How are you at loving the person across the aisle? Some of us, some of us need to get up today from our dinner tables and some of you may, may need to tangibly do this and go in front of your, your, your spouse and your children wash their feet say I love you I love you I'll never forget, two summers ago, I got the opportunity to do that. We were serving at a Johnny and Friends family retreat, and one of the things we were doing for all of the short-term missionaries, all the people that were there serving, is we were commissioning them by washing each other's feet. And I will never forget, as my family came through, because I was the retreat pastor, and I thought, oh man, I'm going to wash Kristen's feet. I'm going to wash Bria and Micah's feet. Ezra and Vera, they, in a shocking turn of events, they were running somewhere else. I'm a four and two year old now. So Vera was like less than a year. Yeah. Anyway. And and we were and we were we were in this environment and I remember Kristen and Bria and Micah coming and sitting in this chair and me taking a towel and washing their feet. Let me tell you something. One of the most humbling things, one of the most humbling moments as as their as their husband and as their father to wash their feet, to serve them in that way, to love them in that way. That is such a beautiful picture, guys such a beautiful picture, ladies, to wash the feet of the ones you love. I want us to get the picture this morning. That is the heart of Jesus for His church. It's the heart of, it's the heart of Paul for the church in Rome, is that we would reflect that type of love and affection towards one another.